My agent called, he said he got some interest in my script I'm glad I didn't tell him that I never finished it I got my cast of characters and outline for the plot I even got a famous classic case of writer's block Get it out of my head 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 Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Get it out of your head And onto the page Welcome to On the Page. This is the podcast that answers all of your questions about the craft and business of screenplay. My name is Pilar Alessandra, and I'm the instructor and script consultant here at On the Page. Joining me as podcast producer is David Bax. Hello. Thank you for having me back. You were giving me that look like you're going to screw up your intro again, because I always do in front of you, because <laughs> you make me nervous with your handsomeness, David. That's what happens. That's the, that's the goal. That's where it is. To, uh-huh. Yeah, keep you off balance. So uh, last, <laughs> last episode, you were like trying to get people to send you candy bars. Is yeah, there I'll, anything, I'll happily do it again. Anything that you would like people to send you this episode? I mean, just since you're in the... Habit of begging. Is there anything? No, I'm else just gonna. I'm just gonna double down on the <laughs> on the cherry ripe candy from, bar from Australia, from Cadbury, Australia. Okay, just all right. Send, send Pilar just sacks worth of uh, cherry ripes, oh, and hopefully no. I'll get a few of them. Okay, Matt Tracy from Australia. <laughs> I didn't say your name before, but now I'm saying it now because he's so desperate. Um, we have a fabulous writer with us. Um, her name is Charlotte Stout. Hello, Charlotte. How are you? Good. Thank you for being on the show. It is my absolute pleasure. Charlotte Stout is a writer and producer in Los Angeles and currently writes for a little show you might know as Homeland on Showtime. Um, Her film projects include an adaptation of Neil Shusterman's best-selling Unwind series and the documentary Open Secret. She has written on the arts for The Village Voice, National Public Radio, and The LA Times, and helps develop new works at the Ojai Playwrights Conference. She holds a doctorate from Oxford University, where she studied the work of Walter Benjamin, which officially makes her the smartest person who's ever been on this show. (laughs) Welcome, Charlotte Stout. I I may take issue with that. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, all that smart stuff, right? We're just going to talk about Homeland, right? Because everybody's like, oh my God, you're right on Homeland. Wow. Last time I saw you, it was in my old studio. You're a, a former client of mine. And then I find out you're a, a big shot now. How's it See, feel? I, I listened very closely to your notes. <laughs> I took everything you said very seriously. <laughs> Well, I'm very proud of you and happy for you. Do you like do you like working on Homeland? You know, it's it's. I feel like Julie Andrews. You know, somewhere in my youth and childhood, I must have done something good. I mean, honestly, <laughs> that is what I think. It's one of those great accidents and lucky breaks that you can get in your life sometimes. And of course, you try to make what you can of it. But it was just an extraordinary thing. And of course, with all these shows, you never know if anyone's going to watch them. You know, you start something, and I remember we were very, very skeptical. You know, does anyone want to watch this depressed vet at home, you know, like um, just disenchanted and angry with his children? And like, does anyone want to watch this? We had no idea. And, and I remember, you know, watching it for the first time going, oh, my God, this is, well, I can't stop. I can't stop. I have to, you know, it had that kind of sort of binge-worthy feeling to that to that show. So have you been on it since the beginning? 
I didn't work on the pilot, but I did, I did start from day one when the writer's room was created. Um, so yes, I'm a, I'm a long timer. <laughs> I've been in the CIA, CIA for, for a long time now. <laughs> I'm used to the polygraphs. Well, I'd love to know then about the development of, let's start with the development of her character. Um, and especially over the seasons. And you did say, you know, this, we've got him who was the depressed vet, but we've got her as the bipolar CIA agent. Um, what were some of your experimentations with that character and where has it gone since? And I'm just curious about your, your take on it. I think one of the most amazing things is, is the original title sequence, which has changed slightly, but, but not that much. And, in a weird way, this guy Thomas Cobb did the titles, and he he kind of came in with what is essentially the finished version. And if you remember, it's a little girl sleeping, and then she's in a maze, and she has this crazy lion's mask on. And mm-hmm. we had barely said anything to this guy, and he walked in with almost a full presentation. And I say that because, one, he's kind of a mad genius, but also I think he really got to the core of the show kind of instantly, which is... This is a woman who has, like, as soon as she's been, as long as she's been conscious, she has been aware of terrorism in the world. Like, her world has been threat. And I think ever since she was little, you know, watching the, hearing about the coal bombings and 9-11, you know, all just these decades of um, terror and fear combined with very interesting, you know, she, she grew up in this household that was marked by her father's uh, you know, bipolar condition, which she also inherited. So there's a sense that, like, in her world, she's she must be eternally alert and eternally vigilant, and that creates a certain kind of person. Um, so that that sort of is the kind of undercurrent that, that runs, I think, through the whole series. And then, you know, it was also the sense of how do you take this woman from being very much a mentee of the brilliant Saul Berenson to maybe having her own complete worldview and sense of how to solve, you know, some of these what appear to be intractable problems. And along the way, you know, okay, what happens if she gets pregnant? And what happens if she falls in love with a terrorist? You know, how do you, what does she do with all these obstacles? You know, how can you, because she's, she's a danger addict. She's absolutely an addict. And when you talk to these CIA folks or anyone in the intelligence community, it's very clear. They are addicted to what they do. Oh, that's in, in the best In the best way, but they really are. And, you know, you ask kind of old-timers, guys who are like in their 80s, and you say, oh, where would you be now, you know, if you could go back to, oh, in the hot spots. You know, I want to be in Pakistan. I want to be in Afghanistan. Like, they want to go right back to the, the crazy. They really do. And so her addiction, I mean, that's something that every season when you go back to it, she may have taken a break, but you're waiting for what's going to trigger the addiction for her to get back in. Yeah. And also, is there any way to turn the addiction into something, you know, yes, there's, you, you want to use your genius for good. You know, she has superpowers, uh, which is something we actually tried to look at in season five. Does she have superpowers? What what form do they really take? Um, she does have an extraordinary intuition. Is there any way that that can, you know, like all of us, we try to use what we have in our past, uh, just as writers, to write better and better scripts? You know, how is she going to sort of build a life and a response to the world that is a more effective 
use of her gifts and maybe with more intimacy and trust, you know, and her just in her private life as a person. So, so that is kind of interesting. Like it, you, you mentioned her backstory of, of that impacted season one for sure. But then as writers, as the seasons develop, her backstory becomes the other seasons that you created. Right. right so right. you always have to take into account, oh, but remember she was here or she had this relationship there. Does that help you in figuring out who she is right now and what to do next? I think absolutely the first question of, of you know, the first day when you go back in the writer's room and you, you see all the snacks that you have wonderfully not eaten for several months and you're like, oh, I'm going to go back to eating those now. <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> Uh, the the second thing you do besides reach for the snacks is ask, uh, what is Carrie's arc mm. this season? So that, again, that's, yeah, the question we ask at the beginning of every year, and that's the most important thing, because if you're not with her and inside her head, it just becomes moves, you know, it's just a kind of a spy thriller, and it's not really ultimately about anything. Which comes first, though, the her arc and then the story, or, okay, for, or we think we'll set it in this place with this kind of terrorist activity and that would influence her arc in a certain way. Like do you create a story for her arc or an arc for the story, I guess is what I'm saying. I think it sort of all happens at once, but you know, one thing we have is an incredible showrunner who just comes up with, you know, Oh, I think it's Berlin this year because, you know, Laura Poitras went to live there after she was harassed you know, uh, by the U.S. government too much, and Berlin is the site of, you know, the the surveillance refuseniks. So let's let's stick it in Berlin. It seems like a good place. It's between east and west. You know, Russia's bearing down on it. So that was that was the previous season. Uh, this year we're in New York, and what's interesting about you know it's it's we're back to where it all started, or it all started in you know the visceral sense for Americans with nine eleven. So. It's 15 years later. Have we learned anything? Is Carrie any different? Because you see, you know, she says in the pilot, I missed something that day. Mm-hmm. And that is kind of her mission statement for the whole series. I missed something that day. It can't happen again. And that is what's driving her. But how is she going to, you know, that is her mantra. So can she, can she change it? Can she adjust it? Can she, you know, develop past that? Or is she always kind of, in that 9-11 space, like, like the rest of us. Does the place that you're in, um, like Berlin, for example, does that influence then the characters that you bring in other than their nationality? But sort of, like, does it influence personality, tone, rhythms of dialogue, where you can go, what you can do? Does it sort of help you create the show, I guess is what I'm saying? I think it absolutely does. And, it's really magic going to these other places. I mean, it's really, it's truly magic. Um, I, we loved being in, filming in Charlotte. I mean, the people were fantastic. The crews were fantastic. Um, the food is really good. Um, it was like a happy three years. Mm -hmm. Um, but the sort of breakout and going to South Africa and then Berlin, it, you feel like, I mean, of course you're immensely protected and pampered. You're, you're on a film crew, but you kind of feel like Carrie, like you're, you're out in the unknown. You're not, you're not on the homeland, you know, so everything feels different. And I think that's, that's really great. South Africa is just one of those extraordinary countries in the middle of still, you know, making itself. So it has that 
energy of change in it. It's also spectacularly beautiful. Yeah, I just returned um, from there. Oh, I was, did you? I was teaching there in November. And yeah, so I, I know what you mean. It's It was like, wow, look at that, look at that. Um, but when Did you see the penguins? I, you know what? I didn't, everybody was like, you have to see the penguins. And I didn't see the penguins, but it, I might be going back, maybe, possibly. They're very, they're very small penguins. <laughs> and they really look up at you like, okay, the tourism has to stop. Like, <laughs> stop can you guys like, step away, please? Yeah. <laughs> but, but when you filmed in South Africa, it wasn't South Africa. It was, right, it was, it was doubling as what, Islamabad. So Cape Town for Islamabad. Right. So I would imagine if you're in Berlin and you're trying to find... Uh, story for Berlin. You can use the actual city itself. Right. Berlin was the first time we, yes, we used Berlin for Berlin, right? The the actual city for the, you know, series city. So you can go somewhere and go, you know what? I think we should incorporate this or I just found out that. It was, or- it was hugely freeing and that city is I mean I had spent some time there in my earlier life as, you know, somebody writing a dissertation on things German. Um, but obviously that city is haunted. It's an incredible, extraordinary city. You know, the people who've always been drawn to that city are special, you know, long before, you know, World War II. It's, it's always drawn sort of the eccentrics, the oddballs, the singular people. Um, and in a way it's kind of, you know, Germans say there's Berlin and then there's the rest of Germany. You know, it's a very, very different place from the rest of the country. But it, it has that, you know, we... Just for example, in season five, we filmed in the 1936 Olympic Village. Wow. And, you know, just on break, you would walk by Jesse Owens, you know, little cottage where he stayed. Oh, my God. And that that place, I hate to keep using the word haunted, but it was really like history. Somebody said to me, you know, gravity is stronger there. And there is, I think that's absolutely right. So all the things that, you know, Quinn got up to without any spoilers, you know, took place in this, in this um, village that in itself just had a very complica- complicated history. And so that just, we all felt it, you know, shooting. It was really amazing. But then the Germans were great and funny and, you know, happy to make fun of themselves. And they weren't, they weren't heavy, but the place was, um, you know, just, just charged with history. And then you get to go to New York for the next yes, one. Yes, get to see all the... I'm, I'm going for the theater, baby. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll someday get tickets to Hamilton. <laughs> that, good luck. I, yeah, I was I just know. coming for that online. It's ridiculous. I know. I have to buy the scalper, scalper ticket. <laughs> so, 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 of course, the energy will change with that, right. too. So, um, tell me, you mentioned that there's two things that sort of were coming up as you were talking. One was grabbing stories clearly the showrunner is grabbing stories from what really happens to cia agents what basing it on real events i would imagine and real terrorist activities that that i mean is that sort of like oh i found out this one thing we're gonna take that and create a season out of it is that how stories developed on that show absolutely i think in response to the departure of brody we started something um a little field trip to dc that we do before each season begins before we convene the writer's room so we go to dc for a week and we sit down and we talk to um you know former white house people intelligence operatives um former ambassadors reporters um, just a, a whole range of people. And they kind of, we basically ask them what keeps you up at night. 
Oh, interesting. You know, that's a what, great, what are you worried about? That's a great question. And everyone has a completely different response and often they wildly contradict each other. But, and two years ago, um, we, so we just, you know, we just came back from uh, last month we went again and it was, it was amazing. But the year before that, uh, Bart Gelman, you know, the Pulitzer Prize winning reporter who broke all the Snowden um, leaks came to see us. And uh, the guy on the documentary? That yeah, guy? yeah, oh, and uh, cool. he he had set up, um, you know, a screen in the the we, it's, we we sort of have a lunch area and then a screening room, and he had set up a screen. And there was you know maybe going to be a very special guest, and we went to we we went to break for lunch quickly, and the on the uh, speaker came that sound. You know when you do like Google Hangout or Skype or something, there's like that sort of sounds and you've heard it a million times and it's like your friend or your mom or, you know, whatever. Um, And and it was Ed Snowden. (gasps) Ed Snowden was was Google uh, Hangout. (laughs) And we we were in the other room. Ed Snowden Google Hangouts? (laughs) Uh, It it is, I think that's, you know, it may have been, it was probably encrypted 7,000 times I would imagine. Over. It's not like um, he's the kind of guy that'd be like, you know what? Yeah. I just wonder what's happening. I'm going to hang out on the internet I, today. I think the FBI was listening. I think that was a condition of how he could how he could talk to us. So everybody was, you know, very clear about that. But I remember in the other room and it was like going and going and nobody got up and I was kind of like, I, I think that's, I think that's Russia. I think that's <laughs> Russia. Shouldn't we get that? <laughs> I mean, I really was like nobody else. And it was like, I, you know, of course, he does a lot of talks. He does a lot of remote conversations, you know, with the New York Times and South by Southwest. So, of course, Edward Snowden has been has been seen. But there was something kind of crazy about being able to ask him a question and have him answer you. I just it kind of blew my mind. I think you know, years from now, when you say to me, "Homeland," I'm going to go, "Yeah, that day with Ed Snowden, that was wild." Well, you also met the president, right? I, I did through through the generosity of one of our most amazing writers, uh, Meredith Steam. Uh, we went to a fundraiser at uh, Shonda Rhimes' house, and um, oh, you know. By the way, yeah. Tony Goldwyn, Shonda. Tony Tony Goldwyn, very handsome in person. Oh, just want to, just want to. I was like, wow. In case there's any doubt. In case there's any doubt, I'm like, damn, that guy is. Wouldn't that it be weird if he wasn't? Like suddenly yeah, it he's is. just like. But there was something even more like you're just you're a little helpless before, and I I don't really get that way. But I was like, oh, that guy is. Yeah. Hmm. Hello, Tony. Yeah. Hi. <laughs> I yeah I, I just can't even can't even speak. But um, yeah, Obama was there, and we stood in the very long line to to talk with him, and um, it was very interesting. We finally came up to meet him. He he gave us a note. He, he, he is the chief executive. So right. as an executive, he gave us a note. What was the note? Uh, the note was, um, I think Carrie should catch a break. <gasps> that huh. was his note. He was like, you know, can, can Carrie catch a break? So maybe just watch your kickback a little bit. Watch you know, some TV. Just exactly. Exactly. Netflix and chill. Have a an little, ice cream. Little, yeah. Yeah. With Franny. <laughs> Do a little adventure time or something. Well, that's, yeah. I, I yeah. think he was maybe identifying a little too much with her. Maybe that's. I I kind of think so. Yeah, <laughs> it was it was funny. We were like, okay. Do you ever get paranoid? I'm just curious. Like after sort of being steeped in these kind of stories and talking to people who, when you say, you know, what keeps you up at night, does it start to keep you up at night? You know what honestly keeps me up at night is writing about this stuff while real people do it. Huh. 
And when you meet people who didn't sleep for 12 years because they were, you know, running the NYPD counterterrorism program um, and they were like not on my watch, mm-hmm. or you meet, you know, people who are in Iraq and or Afghanistan or it's, it's, it is, it's sobering. You know, you're like, they actually did it. They, they didn't sit in a room in LA and, you know, write about it. And you just try to honor that a little bit, you know, to the, to the extent that you can, um, and try to be honest to their, a little bit honest to their experience. So that's honestly, I think, I think most about that, um, cut to, um, you know, the Iranian revolutionary guard (laughs) storming Fox, but they haven't yet. So, Oh, that's, that's good. Yeah. All right. Good to know. Knock on wood. Um, you mentioned, we talked about, you know, how do you find the story for the season? Once you found that and, you know, what's Carrie's character arc, um, can you tell me a little bit about how you break story per episode? Um, or I should say, what's sort of the structure? Are there, are, is there sort of a, uh, a structural pattern per show uh, that you guys go by? Honestly, this is, for me, the tremendous value of being in a room like this is you really do learn so much about structure. And even if you're just a writer's assistant, you learn so much about structure. You know, you don't have to write for the show. And I find that that's, that was my weakest area. I sort of had, you know, I'd been in theater for a while, so I had some sense of character and, you know, when dialogue sounded phony, even though I would sometimes continue to write phony dialogue. Um, But really the hard thing for me was structure. And I think that's what TV really helps with. Um, and it's funny now I have a 60 minute structure in my head. And if you tell me write a movie, I'm like, Hmm, (laughs) huh, how do you do that? But so we are really, the thing about this show that's also incredible is, um, the writers are all, at least primarily for the first uh, few years, we're all showrunners themselves. They were all previous showrunners. And when Alex Gonza initially hired people, he said, you know, uh, he didn't want to teach anyone he wanted to write TV. Mm-hmm. He wanted experts. He wanted people he could delegate to, and that's what he got. So he got amazing people who'd run, you know, Dexter, Homicide, Cold Case. Um, they were they were uh, lie to me. They were just heavy hitters, and also they they were already successful, so they had no ego, and that was a really interesting thing to watch. They just didn't they didn't need to compete. They just wanted to have fun and make a great story. So it was an extremely relaxed room, and it had a. It was kind of grown up, hmm. you know. It had a nice, uh, which was kind of right for the the show, right? I think so. But the other thing about those people is they all had very strict and codified notions about you know how to how to break story. Sure. And I think you know Alex and Howard Gordon. You know they come out of the. X-Files, 24, you know, there's like a family tree to these shows, which I think is very powerful. Um, And Chip Johannesson, who's just an extraordinary writer, had also been on those shows. And he preaches what he calls the religion of the cards. Okay. And I am a convert to the religion of the cards. I'm, I'm down with it. And it's, it's, you know, it's the index cards, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you, you put the index cards on the wall. But basically, so the, here's a short version. We think about the whole arc of the season. You know, what what might be the subject area? Our, our big characters, you know, C- Carrie, Quinn, Saul, what might their journeys be? Where are their heads at? And then once we get past that, we kind of talk about what the first episode could be for maybe as long as a month without putting any cards up. And then finally, 
we start thinking like a car doesn't go up until it's a scene. Hmm. We don't just say Carrie does, you know, Carrie's gonna, Carrie falls in love or, you know, Carrie and Quinn kiss or something. You know, we don't put that up. Um, so it's, it's kind of incredibly strict in terms of what, what finally goes on the wall. So, you know, you end up with say 28 index cards on the wall with the core action of the scene. Um, and it's, incredibly helpful. I've just gone out. I do that with everything I write now. It's incredibly helpful. And then you find out you can, you can catch a lot of your BS before you start writing. Cause I personally hate to rewrite a script 25 times. Sure. And I'd like just to rewrite it seven times instead of 25. Um, so they're very, they're super rigorous about, you know, what makes a scene, how a story is working. And we do it in the three, you know, Carrie's story, whatever Quinn's story, Saul's story, how they might intersect. And then we blend the cards, if that makes any sense. Sure. So we do three, three or four sections of story and then um, weave them after we're happy with those individual stories. Does that make sense? That absolutely does. Um, do you, I know it's showtime, so there's no concrete act breaks, but do you still work as, as though you're working in act breaks? No. Really? <laughs> we're spoiled. I don't think so. I mean, it ends up being kind of a three-act thing, I think. Mm -hmm. And this season as a whole, I think, is is usually a three-act. Um, you know, and it's right, always about the like bottom it. of the second act. So episode six, you know, usually... Episode six or seven has to be like a doorbanger. It's mm -hmm. just got to be. Because you got to just generate all that energy to get through the next six episodes. Um, so it tends to be, having been there for so long, I can tell you it's like five is the bridge episode. I mean, it's crazy how structurally it repeats itself. Mm -hmm. Even though things may be very, you know, the narrative may be quite different structurally, it tends to follow a quite similar pattern. So, so if there isn't an act structure in, you know, your, your episodes, you've got these three separate stories and then you're weaving them through, what is the... What are the things that you need to hit per story? I mean, are there sort of you know high po high points and low points uh, in each story, so that you you know that once you weave them together, it's not just a bunch of people doing stuff, right? I mean, I think that the really retarded answer to that is, you know, you either start somebody with a dilemma or a question, and then you answer that question, or give them a new dilemma by the end of that. I mean, I know that, that no, sounds no, no, dumb, no. but it's really it's That's really that simple. Like it's good. Um, I'm trying to think of a the perfect example. So, uh, in season four, spoiler alert. Okay. Uh, episode six, written by Chip. Um, Carrie sends Ion uh, to rendezvous with his uncle and she's hoping to be able to find um hakani by means of ion the student whom she's seduced and so th that's the thought the thought is we're going to target you know hakani and um we're going to use this kid and we're going to solve all our problems by killing this guy and then of course what i i hate to give it away but of course what happens at the end of that is the exact opposite and as like we like to say all the wrong people die that's kind of one of our mottos uh, on the show so she she starts out thinking you know she's her mission is one thing and then she discovers her mission is absolutely something else by the end that's sort of a classic kind of homeland structure i would say so you know we we like journeys we like road trips we like we're not gumshoey but we like some kind of investigative turn 
you know, at some point. And usually it has to be an emotional, an emotional turn of you know, some kind. I found myself with that particular storyline with her seducing the student, I found myself actually a little bit like split on whether she, on, on basically her having sex with a kid. And I, I was like, wait a minute, is that right? And, you know, I, I was going through all these things. Is it, you know, sort of a classic female protagonist thing where she has to have sex or is it, you know, is the kid being abused or, um, you know, I, I was so conflicted. Were you guys at all conflicted by, by the fact that she was actually going to commit to doing that in order to get secrets out of him? I think we know if there's a violent argument in the room, it's probably going to be a good episode. Ah, and people really, <clears throat> I should say, people really wildly disagree in the room. And there are things that, and usually if somebody hates something, they end up writing that episode, which is always really interesting. Like the, I remember Meredith was like, hmm, if she felt as you do, hmm, I don't know about this whole seduction of this kid who, by the way, was over 18. So <laughs> it wasn't like, you know, but she ended up writing the episode before that where, you know, they essentially hunger down for their weekend, um, their, you know, their weekend version. Um, but I think we, we look, we try to push her to the edge of likability and sympathy. Um, but I kind of feel like, the extraordinary thing about Claire is she just can make anything human, you know, even if it's almost drowning her baby. I mean, I know some people were horrified by that, but mm-hmm. it, it was grounded in something that had happened to somebody we know. And, you know, that person wasn't a monster and they got help and, yeah, you know. And you, so you guys so always, it's a real always thing. take it and as I, far I as you can. I think you've got to because you know, you, one, you want to keep the actress interested in playing this role, but I think, you know, you have to keep, you have to keep the stakes high. And I think it's, it's also just a metaphor for how difficult, I mean, she's a single mother, you know, it's crazy. And her, she's practically Hester Prynne, you know, she had a baby with a bad guy. Yeah. He was a real bad guy. Um, but she did it. You know, good for her. He was hot. I totally understand. <laughs> I know. I and he became a billionaire. Uh, that's it. right. Or Brody She's cashed in. She's show going, Brody, hey. I know, right. Split the billions a little bit. It's that other blonde. <laughs> um, I want to take you back in time to how you, how you got here because all these people are listening and saying, you know, how do I get a career like Charlotte Stout? So, so... I, how did how did you come out here? What was your big break? How did all this happen? I feel like if there's anything I can say on this podcast that might be helpful, it's like, if I did it, anybody can. That is honestly the truth. That is honestly the truth. I'm so much older than the, you know, the person who comes out at 25 and, you know, gets a job as a writer's assistant and moves up the ranks. And um, I am just so stubborn. Um, and I write thank you notes. Hmm. And I think those two things have really helped me. Um, basically, I came out here because I met a bank robber. Okay. Uh, sure. I, yeah. Who hasn't? Exactly. Right? Exactly. I, like I said, I was in theater. I was essentially like a creative executive in theater. So I developed and produced new plays. And um, I went to a development conference in Ojai, you know, just, just up the road from L.A., with a guy named Danny Hawk, who was a solo performer who did a lot of HBO shows and stuff. He's an, he's an incredible guy. But while I was there, so I was essentially his dramaturg, you know, and giving him notes on his play, which, by the way, got longer while I was there. 
So, but there were there we were all introducing ourselves. There may be you know hundred people there, and this uh, you know kind of very solidly built Mexican American guy stands up and he says, "My name is Joe Loya. In the late '80s, I robbed a series of banks in the Southern California area, somewhere between 35 and 40. I lost count. My girlfriend turned me in. I did nine years." Two in solitary, almost went mad, became a writer. Wow. And I was like, that is a log line if I have ever heard one. <laughs> and I I was I am still extremely shy. This is why I'm a writer. Otherwise, you know, I'd just be a director or something. But um my body physically lifted itself and walked over to him. I was like, I I need to this I need to talk to this person. And the crazy thing is We'd had such different upbringings, but he was my my brother from another mother. I mean, I just felt such a kinship with him. And so we started writing together. And we wrote a pilot. We got an agent. They oh, they compared it to the wire. That's and awesome. Nothing happened. <laughs> we didn't get a single meeting. And that was my edu- that was the beginning of my education about what you know, this is the town of no and what you do when you live in the town of no and how you survive that and continue to just have your dream um, and protect it and keep that place in yourself that allows you to write and keep that innocent while the rest of you becomes very kind of savvy and smarter about how to navigate the business. So he and I wrote for a while. We continued to write and then he sort of went out, he had a child and, um, did some other things. He's ghostwritten some books, et cetera, et cetera. And now he's back. He's going to be on another show, and I hope he will come visit you and tell you, tell you his story. I am which totally is phenomenal. No, he's a, he's an extraordinary guy, um, and so much fun to write with. Crazy fun, but that was that was how I got here. And I kind of needed someone to call me out and say, you know, you want to do this, and you you got to come out here and do it. So come on. And and to get onto Homeland. At that point, how did you get sort of your big break with that? Here's another, again, like, just do as I say, not as I do, because really, I just had the most patchwork crazy. I had worked on, I'd worked as a showrunner's assistant, and I'd worked as a researcher on a couple of other shows with some very nice people who, and I learned a lot from them as well. Um, But at some point, you know, I was working, I was freelance, I was writing for the LA Times, and someone asked me, also through an Ojai connection, which just, I would say, like, follow your passions because those passions will, you know, make, give you good introductions. And that's the Ojai Playwrights Yeah, Ojai Conference. Playwrights Conference, which is a, a really amazing thing. And so many people, like Sarah Treem, before she had uh, The Affair, you know, has done a number of plays there. there it's a lot, there's a lot of TV and theater cross-pollinization, I should say. Um, but somebody asked me, to help write their WGA arbitration statement, and this is where I know everyone's going to fall asleep, but the short form is, this is where you argue over what your credit should be on screen. It's Mm -hmm. a very, very important document, and because scripts get rewritten, I'm sure you've talked about this on your show, but scripts get written written, seven or eight times by seven or eight different people, it's it's a big race to see who's going to you know end up on the screen, and that obviously affects you know fees and residuals and where your kid can go to college and all that. It's extremely important. So I helped somebody write one of those. He won, um, and he was very happy. And I think it it disposed him favorably towards me. And he said, you know, there's this guy. 
uh, down the hallway. I think his show just got picked up. Um, I don't know what it's called. Is Alex? I don't know. You want to talk? You want to be his assistant? I was like, oh, I'm too old to, you know. Oh no, I don't want to do it. But um, I met Alex, and I just was like, I'm in. I'm in. Wow. This guy is an amazing guy. And it was, he said, when can you start? And I said, tomorrow. And he said, good. <laughs> See you on the lot. <laughs> you know, it's just the right, the right moment, the right time. Um, I had lived in England. He had lived in England. That's what we talked about. We didn't even talk about the show. I had not read the script. I had not seen the pilot. I knew nothing about it. I knew nothing about him. Um, you have a good gut. You know, I, I do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I I have like there I am mm-hmm, yes. <laughs> I want to thank you so much for being on the show. This has been this. I could really kind of talk to you all day and just ask you yeah. tons of more questions. Right? Yeah. It's just what what about this and what about that? Unfortunately, we have to get going. Um, but Charlotte, what a pleasure to see you again. Thank, thank you. you, thank you so much. And I really feel like just honestly. I think resources like having you in town, they really help you. They help you you. keep writing. And you know what? It's all about what gets you the job is a script. Thank you. Is somebody reading something. So that's how it works. But no, really, that's really how it works. Well, you know, you've talked about like, I don't know how I got here. I read her scripts. Trust me, I know how she got here. (laughs) She's very, very talented. Um, So thank you, Charlotte Stout. Everybody watch. When is the next season of Homeland? Well, this is the crazy thing. We're doing sort of a Sopranos thing where we're now going to premiere in January 2017. Wow. That's a long time away. What do we do until then, Charlotte? Uh, You watch Fargo season two on Netflix? Oh, that was so good. I loved Fargo season two. Okay, here's the other thing you watch. Yeah, yeah. You watch Dominic West, an appropriate adult on Netflix, which will blow your mind. Okay, I'm writing that down. Have you seen that? No. All right. It's awesome. Okay. You don't know who you're talking to. Me and David, when you tell us to, to watch something, oh, yeah, we're watching <laughs> it. Oh, yeah. So, all no, right. Make time. Cool. Thank you so much, Charlotte. Also, are Pleasure. you, do you, I think I know the answer to this question. Do you tweet? <laughs> you think, really? Um, no. But See? I, I, I know I've got, to, I've got to, I've got to start. Yes. <laughs> Facebook a little. <laughs> Remind me to take a picture before you leave, okay? I want yes. to take a picture. David, where can people follow you on Twitter and beyond? Uh, you can find my podcast and all my movie reviews at battleshippretension.com. And you can follow me on Twitter at Davey Pretension. Excellent. Excellent. Oh, yes. Can I add one more thing? Oh, sure. You know no what? Problem. I don't tweet, but the best place to... Um, Hell Yeah Homeland is this fantastic site for Homeland fans. Oh, Hell Yeah? It's run- it? Hell Yeah oh, Homeland. Hell Yeah. Hell Yeah Homeland. Okay. It's run by this mysterious woman named Sarah. She is so right on about the show. Huh. She is amazing. Oh, that's I, so good to I know. religiously read her and then take her ideas into the story room. No. <laughs> <laughs> she's well, brilliant. That's cool. Shout out to Sarah. Oh, maybe maybe because she's maybe she'll follow this because you're on it. We'll find out. I'll, I'll I'll let Hell Yeah Homeland know. Cool. Thank you. Okay. Awesome. I know like only a hundred people that will be on that really really quickly. Um, if uh, if anybody is interested in uh, taking a class here at onthepage.tv, uh, check it out. Go to the website onthepage.tv. Um, there's 
there's the live two-day rewrite workshop that's happening. Um, also, uh, if you're in the UK, I will be teaching that rewrite workshop as a two-day class, June 11th and 12th. Um, and that is through the London Screenwriting Festival, but it is only that class. So I think if you, if you Google... LSF, um, the rewrite class will come up and I'll have a more official URL for you next time. Thanks, everybody. Thank you so much, Charlotte, for Thank being you. here. Thank you, David, for producing. Thank you. Thanks to everybody out there for listening and have a good writing week. Thank you.